Hi, Journey. How y'all doing today? In case you didn't notice, that's not exactly church weather out there, is it? Way to, way to go bucking the trend and being here. We joke about that in the industry. Like, yeah, church, there's church weather, which is the opposite of days like this, right? And this is not. It's nice, isn't it? Because Memorial Day weekend sort of marks the official beginning of summer, right? And it's pretty cool when the weather validates that it's the beginning of summer rather than a snowstorm of some sort. We are continuing in this series that we call Measuring Up to the 80s, talking about Journey Church wins. And very, very clearly it's a win for the Journey Church family when we live out this week's mission measure, which is grab a towel. We win anytime any of us, especially when all of us, grabs a towel and serves with my Journey Church family. I love the way Pastor Steve Shogren put it. He said, we love, serve, and care for others because that's normal behavior for people who are filled with God's spirit. It's normal behavior for people who are filled with God's spirit. We are Christians. Christ was, after all, the ultimate servant. We can't help but serve because the spirit of the servant has filled our hearts. And when we serve, we're just being who we naturally are. Are. That quote really resonates with me because I believe to my core that every single person in this world wants to live a life of purpose marked by significant contribution to worthy endeavors. I don't believe for a single second that anyone just wants to take up space on planet earth for 70, 80, 90 some years and die not ever having realized God's grand purpose for their life. And while many people wouldn't necessarily use those words, God's grand purpose, to describe their making a contribution to humanity that really matters, lives on after they're gone, in the end, isn't that what life is all about? Isn't that what life is all about? And while I firmly believe that all people have this deep-seated, hardwired longing to serve, to make a real and lasting difference in this world, our culture bombards us with messages that run quite counter to those inmost longings. Much, much shallower invitations beckon our time, attention, and focus day in and day out. Invitations like indulge yourself, fulfill your desires, satisfy your appetites, pursue your every pleasure, have it your way. It's all about you. We just get bombarded day after day after day such that it gets awfully confusing, doesn't it? Speaking of confusion, you should listen.
guys are awesome. The Christian band Genesis. <laughs> and no matter how confused we might be about the messages that culture bombards us with, it's just true, isn't it, that complete fulfillment won't ever come through self-gratification. It's also true that self-gratification will not ever lead anyone to the grander purpose that everyone in this world is inclined toward. As a matter of fact, living a life about all about self-gratification, it's all about you, it's all about indulging yourself, it's all about fulfilling your desires, it's all about satisfying your appetites, it's all about having it your way. Living life that way is the surefire path to emptiness and self-destruction, and not just self-destruction, but the destruction of others around us as well. I believe to my core that people are really, really smart, and they most of them anyway, eventually figure out just what it takes to climb to the top of the heap. For example, if their work is on Wall Street, the top as they define it is to make an awful lot of money, isn't it? If their work is in Hollywood, the top as they define it is to produce crowd-pleasing, award-winning films. If their work is in politics, the top as they define it is to get as close as possible to the Oval Office. And while so many people in this world are very busy scrambling, scratching, clawing their way to the top, as the world defines the top, along comes Jesus Christ, who literally turns everything the world calls the top squarely upside down onto its head. Jesus really, he moved the cheese, didn't he? By declaring that the top in his economy is to faithfully serve the Father by humbly putting a serving towel over your arm with and to every person around you. Consider for a moment Jesus' very first disciples, the very radical call that they answered to follow him. They left their families, they left their friends, they left their jobs, and became really no more than homeless travelers who entrusted their future to a revolutionary teacher who spoke frequently disturbing words. Now absolutely, in the very beginning, following Jesus would have felt like this grand adventure to his first disciples. Just Take Peter, for instance. Every day for years, Peter would walk down to the shoreline. He would climb into his boat. He would go out a ways into the water. He would let down his nets. He would haul in his catch of fish or not. He would turn back to shore, count his catch, haul them to the market, trade the fish for a few coins, buy some food, head back down to his boat to repair his boat and his nets. He would head home then, fall into bed, and wake up the next day to do it all over again. You'd hardly call that a stimulating existence, would you? But then one day, Peter was invited into the circle of trust by the most powerful, gifted, charismatic leader ever. And you consider that and you go like, how cool would that have been? Peter's new boss miraculously fed enormous crowds, healed the sick, resuscitated people from the dead. Peter could hardly imagine where it would all lead. After all, Jesus' stock was rising quite considerably. But then all of a sudden, Jesus' stock, at least by all earthly accounts, began to plummet, didn't it? The Messiah, Jesus, he had this very irritating habit of challenging the very self-serving values of the religious and political leaders of his day. They never took too kindly to his onslaught against their ways of leading. And again and again and again, Jesus relentlessly called everyone he came into contact with to a different way. Come on, guys, it's not like that. It's like this, and that meant trouble, both for him and 
all of his followers. Not to mention just how challenging it would have been since the very first day for Jesus' disciples to accept these very drastic calls to serve God and serve others way before they ever considered serving themselves. Jesus, after all, would go and say things like Mark chapter 9, verse 35, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. And you can almost hear Jesus' first disciples asking like, okay, Jesus, isn't that just a little over the top? Isn't that just a little extreme? And you go like, no, 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 I actually mean it. I really mean it, actually. And you take that along with the plethora of other not-so-crowd-pleasing language that Jesus would utter. Again, you're familiar with it. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Lay down your, lay down your life. And you can hear the disciples again saying, really, Jesus? Like, seriously? And you go, yes, absolutely. And then one day in the midst of all of that high-challenge environment, Peter's patience, I think, wore just a bit thin. And he asked the question that was doubtless on the minds of everyone else who was following Jesus from Matthew chapter 19. Here's what Peter said. Look, Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? So it seems like a fair question, right? Just comes oozing out of what's in this for us. Now, I don't think anybody would doubt Peter's sincerity in abandoning his old life for the sake of Jesus' call to him. And yet at the same time, Peter's just a man, right? He's a human being, just like we're all human beings. And while his old life may not have been a thrill ride, it was at least unsurprising. Peter knew the career trajectory of a fisherman. Peter knew the life expectancy, generally speaking, of a fisherman. Peter knew the end game of the fishing industry. He knew what it looked like, more or less, from start to finish. But it wasn't at all like that with Jesus Christ, was it? Not even close. With Jesus, by following Jesus, everything, even his very life, was way out on the ragged edge of faith. Quite unsure. No apparent return. Life expectancy, who, who in the world knows what that even looks like with Jesus? It's almost as if Peter's question was this sudden sort of overflow, this sudden outburst of following you, Jesus. It really seems crazy. And look how Jesus replies back, Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 29. I assure you, I promise you, Jesus is saying, I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times, a hundred times as many houses brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution, and in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. What's Jesus saying there? In short, he's saying, following me, living life my way, serving towel over your arm is absolutely worth it. Every time it's worth it. Sure, it is not going to be easy. Did you notice, by the way, the promise of persecution in his reply? Was it like you might trickle in, you might stumble into a little persecution? Persecution might stumble, no, it's like and persecution, the promise of persecution. But he says, even in the midst of that, 
the rewards in this life as well as in the life to come, they are unimaginable. A hundred times what you gave up. A hundred times what you gave up. You talk about a serious return on your investment. A hundred times what you gave up. And yet even in the face of that kind of promise, that very promise, again and again all throughout the Gospels, Jesus' first disciples seemingly reject that promise, constantly jockeying for status, prestige, and position, all via self-centeredness, not the way Jesus assures it. Not via a serving towel over your arm, living life in the service of everyone around you. Jesus cried it again and again, servanthood, servanthood, servanthood. Nobody heard it more than his disciples, his inner circle, and yet in private conversations again and again, many of those conversations, by the way, aren't so private. They're captured quite prominently on the pages of the New Testament of Scripture, like recorded for everyone to look in on. We see again and again those first disciples arguing about who's going to sit where in God's kingdom, who's the most gifted, who's going to be the most prominent, who's got the most power. Those were their conversations. And before we go too far in our criticism of Jesus' first disciples, those guys are a lot like a lot of people, maybe even some of us, right? But what many all too easily forget is what Jesus says over and over and over again. If you really want to live, if you really want to live, then you serve and you serve and you serve and you serve and you serve. If you really want to live life my way, Jesus says, drape a serving towel over your arm and you cut right through the confused messages our culture bombards us with about self-gratification, and you get your serve on. I'm paraphrasing Jesus loosely there. The words of that song the band just did, this is the world we live in. These, right here, these are the hands that were given. Use them, let's start trying to make it a place worth living in. Serve anyone and serve everyone. Jesus says that's the way you live. Get your serve on. And Jesus' incessant serving message, it came quite to a head one night when he and his disciples were supposed to have dinner. Somebody apparently forgot to book the foot washer. Lots of you know this story, right? Remember the time period. People wore on their feet what kind of footwear? Yeah, you said sandals. In actuality, they're called Birkenstocks. Okay, nothing but the official shoe of JC was Birkenstocks, right? And they would wear Birkenstocks while they walked down dusty, dirty, waste-strewn roadways and paths. And then they would recline around very low-slung tables, remember, not High tables like we're used to where we sit in chairs and slide our feet comfortably down on the floor. They were almost on the same level as their feet, which meant that feet, dirty feet, would have been very close to faces and food of everyone around. The, I have a really weak stomach and it makes me sick just even thinking about it. That meant then that the social custom of the day was to always post a lowly servant at the doorway of the house where the party was to take place. The first thing that people would have done when they came in was have their feet washed by the lowly servant. Before they even made it past the entryway, feet would have been washed. And you know this story, at least lots of you do. For some reason, the night of Jesus' party, someone forgot social custom, didn't book the foot washer, or the foot washer got sick, or the foot washer had a family emergency, or who knows, the foot washer got a better offer that night. But the bottom line is the foot washer didn't show up. 
no foot washer. And I want you to go with me. I want you to join me in like peering in on this scene. I want you to imagine with me that you're actually there. Right outside the upper room, the table is set, food is set out, everything's ready. The only thing that remains is for the guests to arrive. And imagine we're outside the upper room and we're peering into that room through a crack in the wall and well, along comes the first disciples. First guy. He enters the upper room and he finds much to his chagrin that there's no foot washer. And right then he's got a decision to make, doesn't he? What's he going to do? Is he going to wash his own feet? No. Does he consider taking off his garment, becoming the designated foot washer, becoming like a lowly foot washing servant, washing everyone else's feet? No. And his like mental gears are really turning. What am I to, what am I to do? What am I to do? And in like an instant, he runs this calculation, and here's what it starts with. No. <laughs> no. Foot washing is not my job. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. Slaves wash feet, not esteemed men like me. No. Just like that, he runs that calculation. And immediately, his attention then turns to the table, the highly, highly important task of locating the spot where he guesses Jesus will sit so he can be very close, if not even maybe right next to him, off I could only get, and he takes his spot, dirty feet and all. And I remember we're peering into the upper room through a crack in the wall, and here comes another disciple, and he enters the room now. He glances around, no foot washer, his buddy already couched supine at the table, and you look into his eyes, and you watch him run this calculation, well, if he ain't washing feet, I ain't washing feet, right? No, just like that. That guy heads into the second prime spot around the table, filthy feet and all, one by one by one by one by one. The first disciples of Jesus all do that very same calculation. Open the door, glance around, no foot washer, trip over the water basin, plop down in the best spot left at the table, poke their nasty feet in their buddy's lap, all of them. And the story's not over. Remember, we're peering through the crack in the wall, one more guest left to arrive. His name is Jesus. And here he comes. He opens the door. He notices the water basin, unused. He notices also, I would imagine, the stench of unwashed feet filling the room. What's that? Oh my gosh. Right? He looks around the table. He, he sees, oh my gosh. He can see dirty feet, it's that obvious, and the look on his face, can you just imagine, imagine peering in, the countenance would have to have just sunk, right, after all, Jesus didn't just start with these guys yesterday, it had been three whole years, one parable after another, one sermon after another, one hard teaching after another, one challenge after another, and he's going like, seriously, they still don't get it, three years in, and it's almost over, Three years in, the expression on his face, I'd quite imagine, looked like the sinking sense of failure. So what's Jesus do? He walks to the table. He takes his place, any old place. It doesn't matter to him where he sits. And he doesn't say a word. And his thoughts, wouldn't you imagine they'd be racing with the hope that maybe, just maybe, someone, anyone, would have the humility, the courtesy to even wash his feet, not a chance. 
Nobody even glances toward the basin. And we pick up the story in John chapter 13, starting in verse 4. So, it's a very pregnant so, isn't it? So he, that's Jesus, got up from the table, like realizing, okay, it ain't going to happen. He got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, and you know, when you come to these words in any Bible story, when Jesus came to Simon Peter, you know this is going to be good, right? He gets to Simon Peter, and Peter says to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus is going like, well, duh, it's kind of what I've been doing, making my way around the table. Yes, I am. You don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. Of course he protests. You will never, ever wash my feet, Jesus replied. Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my, like, bathe me, Jesus. Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you loaded statement there, right? For Jesus knew who would betray him. That's what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. And you read that story and you go like, oh my gosh. That, that just happened. The son of God stooped, son of God, stooped to the level of a common servant and washed his disciples' feet, every single one of them. And can you imagine now what's going through their minds? Wouldn't it start like with dread, <laughs> disbelief, embarrassment, and then probably landed in like a place of sheer horror of what's playing out right in front of their very eyes. Thoughts like these would have scrolled through their minds. What is the matter with me? You've got to be kidding me. How did I miss this? Why do I still think the whole world revolves around me? The least I could have done was wash his feet. How could I have let this happen, right? And Jesus washes all of their feet and when he's all done he folds the towel he returns the basin to the entryway he puts his outer robe back on he returns to the table he settles back in and he asks this question do you understand what I was doing and they're kind of shrugging their shoulders like mm. you call me teacher and Lord and you're right because that's what I am he says and since I your Lord and teacher have washed your feet now here we go this is where it gets really, really like crystal clear. You ought to wash each other's feet. You ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Pretty clear. Do as I have done to you. Wash each other's feet. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. And that's it. That's the perspective right there that Jesus challenges every single one of his followers to. You and I 
patterning our lives after his life, a life in which our reflexive response, whether in our homes or in our workplaces or in our church or in our schools or anywhere in our community, is to first and foremost drape a serving towel over our arm, humbly setting about serving God and people. And he asks us, will you do that? Will you do what I've done unto you? Will you take up Jesus' challenge with everything you've got? Serve, 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 serve. And can you even imagine what would happen if a church family, a church community like ours took Jesus at his word and followed through on serving like Jesus served. Can you even imagine serving like Jesus served in our homes, in our workplaces, in our church, in our schools, in our community? Can you even imagine the impact if we, just us, right here, took every single opportunity to serve that presents itself to us, even if it seems very small and very insecure? Can you even imagine? Because I can. I can imagine the day when the volunteer roles in our church are full to overflowing, people tripping over each other on their way. I can imagine that. I can absolutely imagine that. I can imagine the day when every door in our town gets held open for the people coming behind you go like, that seems awfully, it's not. It matters. I can imagine that day. I can really especially imagine a day when kids at home fight over the privilege of taking the trash out, clearing the dishes, loading the dishwasher, cleaning their room way before anyone ever has to ask. Hear that, children? I can imagine the day when the grass gets mowed and the snow gets shoveled for every single person in our valley who needs it done, not because they hired somebody, but because people just got it done because they know they need that done for free. Imagine a day when employers are stunned by the lengths to which their employees go to serve the mission, the customers, and the fellow employees of their businesses. Whoa. I absolutely can imagine the day when stuff just happens Stuff just gets accomplished by an army of people mobilized on the serving mission of Jesus Christ. Eyes wide open, servant's towel always ready. I can imagine. And I can do more than imagine. I can say, I'm in. Will you join with me? Will you come with me on that grand mission? Will you make serving Jesus Christ, the point and the purpose of your life. I'm in. I'm in. Take your stuff and set it aside if you would, and I invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, here's what I'd suggest first and foremost. 
serving the way that Jesus invites us to serve, it doesn't make sense, doesn't make any sense without this fundamental shift that takes place when a person steps across the line of faith in him. Serving like Jesus invites us to serve starts with getting square with God once and for all. And maybe there's some here today who need once and for all to step into the salvation and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And if that's you, you can take the very bold step of trusting him, the very bold step of crossing the line of faith in Jesus Christ by praying with me. If that's you, I invite you to pray with me. Jesus, absolutely, I'm a sinner. I realize I'm entirely incapable of saving myself, and so Jesus, by faith, I gratefully receive your gift of salvation. You're what I need, Jesus. I trust you as Lord and Savior, boss and ruler of my life. And with all the gratitude I can muster, I thank you for dying on the cross in my place. Thank you for rising from the dead. Thank you for abundant life here and now and eternal life forever with you someday. Here's my everything, Jesus. And if you're someone who's stepping into the saving faith of Jesus Christ today, that's the biggest decision of your whole life. Such a big deal around here, we invite people to tell. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Nobody's looking around this room. If you prayed with me just then to give your heart and life to Jesus, would you just be really bold and would you slip your hand up right now, right where you are? Lock eyes with me. Yeah, you right there. Way to go, buddy. Way to go. Yes. And you? Yes. Absolutely. You and yeah, right here. Yes. And in the back. Absolutely. Yes. And yeah, there's like three of you right there. Absolutely. Yes. And then there's you. Yes. Yes. And you. Way to go. Absolutely. Way to go. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the transforming, saving hard work that you're doing in these right here, right now, today. God, that that fundamental shift is happening crossing the line of faith in you. People saying, Jesus, my life is your life. I need you. All the old ways that I've been trying, they're not working, and so I'm giving up control to you, Jesus. I'm going your way, your plan, your time. We praise you, Jesus, for these crossing the line of faith today. And then, Jesus, we thank you for this compelling mission that you set us on to serve you, to not just pass days and weeks and months and years waiting for the end of our life, but you say life can matter. Life can matter for eternity. You can make an eternal difference. That's our charge, every single one of us. And so here we are, Jesus, 
handful of us and we're saying we're in. We're saying we're in on your grand serving mission. To do for others what you've done for us. You are the ultimate servant and we're patterning our lives after you, replicating you. May the power of your Holy Spirit fuel that mission, Jesus. We're not just operating out there in our flesh, but we're depending on you, clinging to you, trusting you. Eyes wide open, looking for your leading. Who, Jesus, do you want me to serve today? How can I serve today? Thanks, Jesus, for modeling it. Thanks for making it so clear. Thanks for setting us about it. You are the best, and we love and worship and trust and hope only Jesus in you. And everyone agreed together and said,